John for praying for us. You can pray for me anytime. That was good. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to be speaking out of Acts, the 20th chapter, but um, let the redeemed of the Lord say so is the title here this morning, and this comes out of Psalm 107. And what happened is, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was having a hard day at work. And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I was struggling. I'd had a difficult phone call, and I was dealing with something. And often, if I'm going through that, I'll pull up my Bible, and I'll read something, especially out of the Psalms, to kind of encourage me, and kind of you know, get my head in the right place and that sort of thing. So I flipped over to Psalm 107, and it says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and has gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And that really encouraged me. And I was thinking, you know, God has done good things for me. I'm going to give thanks. His steadfast love endures forever. He's gathered us from all over the world to honor him. And, and that, that made sense to me. But I got to this phrase, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And it hit me, okay, how do you do that? What does that mean? Um, and how does that work out? And so I started going, okay, well, I'll read through the rest of the psalm and kind of figure out what it says you should do when it says the redeemed of the Lord says so. Say so. And um, I started reading, and there was lots of really interesting things there. I'm going to run through this real quick, just as introduction. It talks about people that had wandered and had no city. I don't know if you've ever, I don't like, I don't like shopping, because a lot of times shopping, I feel like I'm just wandering around pointlessly trying to figure out, I like to go in and get the four things I need and get the heck out of the store. That's me, and I know some people like shopping, that's fine, but I'm just not one of those people. I hate to wander around. Um, that, these people that the, the psalmist is speaking to, they actually lived at times in a situation where they were pastoral, they took care of animals, and they had to wander around to get them to have the feed they needed. Um, but it also is tied to no city. Now, no city for us, we're like, yay, countryside. But back in that day, having no city meant that you had no place to go when someone else was attacking you. You didn't have very good commerce. You didn't have other people to help you. If you weren't able to fix it, you were out there on your own. Not having a city was a bad thing for them, to not have anybody else to turn to. So, this picture of someone wandering around, no city, and then it talks about, in verse 5, hungry and thirsty, and their souls fainted. It's this terrible picture for people. But then in verse 6, it says they cried out to the Lord, and God delivered them. And I thought, well, that's great. That's another great picture. But it doesn't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Well, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's just another example of why I would say so. Um, and so I said, all right, I'll read some more. And then it talks about in verse 7 that they're led in a straight way and that God does wondrous works. He satisfies the longing of their souls. And this really started making me think, especially a couple of days ago, with these people that have committed suicide. Their souls were hungry. Their souls were not satisfied. Their souls were broken. And it's so sad to see that. But this is saying, no, when God has you, he leads you in a straight way. He does wondrous works for you. He satisfies your soul. And if you're here this morning, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with suicide, God can help satisfy that soul. 
talk to Russell, talk to me, talk to someone else. And get, help us to help you and pray for you. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's a good thing. But it still didn't answer the question, what are the redeemed of the Lord supposed to say and do? What does that look like? So then I, I read some more, verse 10. It talks about people sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in, infi- in affliction in irons, rebels, um, spurn the counsel of God. Once again, a picture of someone who does all these bad things. They are turning against the counsel of God. They're not going their own, they're going their own way. They're rebelling, okay? And then it says they cried out, and God restored them. Let me read what it says God did in verse 14 of this passage for introduction. He brought them out of darkness, out of the shadow of death. He burst their bonds that they were tied up. He, and thanked the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he sh- sh- shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bar- bars of iron. Once again, you had this thing where we, people rebelled against God. They cried out to God, and God rescued them. But I'm still asking the question, okay, but what am I supposed to do? I'm redeemed. I agree with this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It goes on again. It talks about how in verse 17 there were fools, and they were sinful, and they, they cried out, and God restored them again. And it says we should thank the Lord and worship. And so I finally got to a point, and I said, okay, Worship, that's part of what it means for the redeemed of the Lord to say so. We come and we worship. But that's one day a week that we come together and unite and worship. And I'm going, is that all it means? And I started really struggling with that. How do we work that out? Verse um, 23 through 32 comes again, and it has a really interesting picture. It talks about storms and how people were out on the seas, and they were, being in, tr- they were in trouble in their ships, and they were going down and all this kind of stuff. And they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord saves them. Another picture of being in the desert and dryness and not having food to eat. And you can imagine in days when they were dependent on what they could grow themselves, the fact that the passage here says that they came and they found vineyards and bounty and harvest with the Lord versus the evil people that were stuck in the desert. You might be here this morning and say, I feel like I'm stuck in the desert. I don't have, I have a troubled soul, I'm struggling with things, whatever. We come to the Lord and we say, he's the one that helps us. It says in the very end of this passage that he raises raises the needy, the upright are glad, the wise consider the steadfast love of God. So in all of that, I started looking at it and going, okay, this passage isn't really helping me answer the question, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, because I want to know what does that look like? How do we do that? Is it just worship? And I think that it's much more than that. So I started looking at other passages, and I came to this in Acts 20, and I want us to look at it in just a minute. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're one of those feeling you say, I am rebelling against God. I am want to go my own way. I am not doing what God said. If you're in a position where you're saying, my life is that desert. I feel like I'm on a storm going down in the sea. The rest of this may not make much sense to you because you're in that position and what that first passage, Psalm 107, says is cry out to God, turn to Jesus, and let Jesus restore you and keep you and satisfy your soul. And glad to talk to you about that, but this morning, this passage that I want us to look at in Acts 20 is for those of us that are Christians when we say the redeemed of the Lord are to say so. How do, what does that look like? How does that work out in our lives? Well, I asked a good friend of mine, and he had teenagers around the house. So I said, what does it mean to 
when you say the redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, how do you do that? He said, you say so. I went, okay, that's smart, Alec. You know, it was really cute. Uh, and he's like, I bet you if you ask the kids, that's what they'll say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And they'll all go, so. I was like, oh, I'm not asking them. But um, as we talked about it, he said, he was saying it's who you are. It's what you do. It's what you say. It's what you like. It's what you're involved with. And I said, okay, that all makes sense, but where is that in Scripture? And I think what we're looking at today from the life of Paul is an example of that that I want us to consider from Acts 20. So in Acts 20, verse 18, do we have it printed up or not? We do. You're wonderful. Thank you, Russell, for all that. Um, Acts 20, verse 18. Is that ESV? Russell disappeared to go help him. Children's ministry. I want to make sure I'm not reading it wrong here. If not, you'll sometimes there are different versions, but I have ESV, I think is right. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from this day, I set from the de- first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable teaching you in public and house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testified to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And now behold, I know that there are none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God that will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Let's pray before we look at this deeper. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for its work in our lives. And may we come out of this today and say, Lord, we do know better how to, as your redeemed people, to say so. I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here that we would have a better understanding of Jesus' love for us, of Jesus' ministry in our lives, and how we can glorify him and enjoy him forever. We pray these things for the glory of God. Amen. Um. As we think about this passage, Acts 20, it's written by Paul. And normally, we would look at this, well, it's about Paul, what Paul's saying. It's it's written by Luke. But we would look at this and we would say, Paul's saying this. Paul's a great preacher. So if you're going to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, how do you do that? Most people think you'd be a preacher. Okay, and that's true. I'm not saying that's not right. But that's not where Paul starts when he describes what he does in speaking to these people and how he's describing what his ministry in their lives have been. It's interesting because the first thing he says in verse 18 is he says, I lived among you. Now, what does that mean to us? We're here. We're present in a community. We are in here and we do the normal things that people do. Pay your bills, live your life, take care of your family, all those normal things. So, Each one of us can do this part. And some of us do in a special way. I'd I'd highlight Hal and Carol are somebody they're not here today. I think they're 
on vacation with their daughter who's about to get married. Um, but Hal and Carol, they actually moved into this community in order to say, we want to live among them. Many of you are, have next-door neighbors that are not Christians. You have family members that are not Christians, other people, but we live among them. This is the easiest one that we should all be able to do, say, I live. If you're a Christian here this morning, you should say, yes, I proclaim as a redeemed person, I proclaim that the Lord is great, and he's done all these wonderful things we read about in Psalm 107 for me, straightened out my path, saved me from drowning in the sea, saved, satisfied my soul, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, redeemed us. We say so, first of all, Paul says, by living among you. And that should be easy enough for us to do as Christians. But it goes on from there. Verse 19 says, serving the Lord. This one was an interesting, and I'd point to the, I, don't, I'm, I can't use everybody as an example this morning, but I, 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 as I was going through this, I was trying to think, who's really a good example to me of this? Serving the Lord, I want to point to the Dijkstra's. They quietly serve the Lord in mercy and kindness and caring for people. They often do the, I think you always do the communion when we have it. Um, other ways, and I mean, Charlene has made things, made the curtains, I think, and done other things. There's a lot of things that happen here because they serve the Lord. It's showing to people through your actions that you're redeemed. And so if we're out there saying, okay, how do we do this? As the redeemed people of the Lord, how do we say so? We do it by living it out in our lives, being present. We do it by serving the Lord, and through serving the Lord, we're also serving other people. Um, the Levites were called the servants of the Lord. But their ministry as priests in the Old Testament, their ministry was doing things for the people as they served the Lord. So I think that's important to us that we should serve the Lord. And this can be done in easy ways. Yesterday, my wife and I were at Ishnatucky Ishnatucky Springs with some friends of ours ours from Orlando. And we noticed a young man that had a raft that was not blown up. If you've never done it, Ishnatucky is a great rafting run for a couple hours. And uh, here was this kid, I don't know, 14 years old or something, with his raft standing by the side of the road. And I'm walking by him, I said, are you okay? Because he was kind of like looking around, and he was like, well, I was looking for some place I could blow this up. I said, you don't have a pump? He said, well, I do, but my sister's using it on a raft, and she's having problems. We think there's a hole in it. And I was like, well, come on over to my place. Tell your parents you're coming, and come on over across, you know, two, two spaces over in the parking lot. I've got a pump. You can pump it up. So he came over, and he pumped it up. And then as I was walking him back to just make sure he got back to where he was supposed to go. His mom was there, and she was stuffing a, uh, this float in the car that w- apparently wasn't working. And so I went back, and I, we had rented one, but we were done for the day. And, you know, you rent these things, and then they float up and down the river, and then you leave them for the, you know, the people to come get. So it's not like I had to return it. So I went back and got this float that we had rented, and I brought it back, and I said, I noticed one of yours was broken. Here's one of ours. And she was like, wow, thank you. And I went back, and, and we were talking about it, and I said, well, I really ought to give them a track to tell them why I'm doing all this. So I got a track out of the glove compartment, which I encourage you always to have some. And I went back, and I just said this. I said, I did all this because we love Jesus, and, and I just want you to have this so you can read about what it means to love Jesus. And I stuck, I didn't even hand it to her. I stuck it under the, the windshield wiper on the back of the car. But she was real excited. She said, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll read it later. 
Okay, that wasn't a big deal. I didn't, you know, write a book or do anything phenomenal. I just showed, served the Lord by loving people and did something nice for somebody that was in trouble. And, and we cared about them, and we shared the gospel with them in a, in a very small way. So we've got so far, how do we do this? We live it out. We serve people. We serve the Lord. But then in verse 19, it also says this, with humility, tears, and trials. Now, I know for a fact, this is vintage grace. We, this church has had people that have been sick physically. There are people here that are suffering with back problems. There are people here that have ongoing health issues. There are people here that have struggled with family members and problems with their kids. And, I mean, almost every week we're praying, pray for one of our kids on the, on the Connect card. Um, this whole aspect of humility, tears, and trials, we don't like all that stuff in our lives. I don't. I don't want any problems. But I think what this passage is saying is part of the reason how the redeemed of the Lord say God has redeemed us is that they live out their lives in the middle of all of our trials and our hardships and our pains and our sufferings without complaining about God and looking to him to save us. And it's part of our testimony, our way of saying publicly, hey, I'm a child of God. He's redeemed me. In the middle of this hardship, I still look to him. I still trust in him. I still know that he's my king. And so I think this is a very important way of saying, how do the redeemed of the Lord say so? In trials, in tribulations, in tears. And it also adds the word humility. We are, this is not the fanciest church in the whole world. I'll give you a clue. It is not the one with... Andrew, thank you very much, but it may not be the absolute best singing of any church in the whole world. Very good guitar playing, thank you very much. Um, we have, you know, we try things, but it's not perfect. We're humble. We know that we're just servants of God. We're here as God's people come together to worship him and love him, and not everything is perfect, but we're a community, and we care about each other, and I think that aspect of humility when you're living in a community, when you are seeking to serve other people, when you're doing that in the midst of your own trials and problems, we do it with humility. We come and we say, look, I don't have the answers to everything. I don't, you know, if a neighbor's going through a hard time and we're trying to help them or serve them, we don't come and say, we can tell you everything you ought to do and we've got all the right answers. We do it with humility, according to this passage. But then in verse 20, it also says, do not shrink from whatever is profitable. Now, this is kind of hard. What, what is profitable? Sometimes what's profitable is to be quiet and not say anything. <laughs> you know, if a neighbor's going through something, you don't necessarily speak into their problems every single time. Um, when you have a child up here and they're misbehaving, we don't all tell you how to do it, you know, how to fix it. There are times to speak to that in someone's life. What you have to figure out is when is it profitable? Um, the church came, I don't know how many months ago, and we, had, we made a decision as leadership that one of the things we thought would be profitable would be to have a class on Christian finances because we knew that some people were struggling and we wanted to help people through that. So we spoke to that, and we had special classes, and I think you can still get into one if you want to say, how do I learn about my finances? Every week when Russell's up here preaching, he's speaking to something that God has laid on his life that's profitable for us as the people in the congregation. 
But we do this for each other, too. We should speak words of encouragement. We should um, look to figure out how to pray for, encourage, help, do what's profitable in other people's lives. Now, Russell said it himself. Where do we go primarily for that? God's word. Actor, you go with you know, your family. You say, what's, what is profitable for my family? It's what's here. And that's what we try to do as God's people. When we say the redeemed of the Lord say so, we look for opportunities to be profitable to other people. Now, I can't tell you how to do that with your neighbor. I can't tell you how to do that in your family. I can't tell you exactly how to do that at work. But I can tell you, if you're not looking in a situation to say, God, I'm redeemed. I'm going to say so today. What does it mean to be profitable? Um, My wife and I have been struggling because we've got a brand-new next-door neighbor, and there used to be a creek between our two yards. And she didn't like the creek. So when they bought the lot... One of the first things they did is they tried to put in a four-inch drain for a creek that was two feet deep and four feet across. It didn't work very well. And I tried to say, hey, guys, I tried to be profitable and say, hey, guys, that's not going to work. A four-inch French drain is not going to handle all the water that comes through here. Well, it turns out that was kind of offensive to her. She didn't like it um, because that creek was kind of on both sides of our, it went back and forth across the line between the two houses, and it dealt with all the water that comes from the hill behind our houses. And uh, so one time I, when she was first moving in, I said something, and she was like, no, I'm mad at you. You, you. you tried to stop us from moving in, and you wouldn't let me do what I, you're trying to stop me from doing what I want with my property. I can, I can you know, stop this all I want. And I was like, well, I was just trying to say there's got to have a good way of dealing with that water. Because it's going to come. Anyway, she was mad. So, okay, that wasn't very profitable. So then the rains came, and it's washing out under her driveway, and it's washing out over her driveway, and it's making a mess. Well, now my being profitable is I'm just trying to be a good neighbor. I fixed my fence up. I'm being quiet. I shoveled out the drain where the water can go. Um, Sad thing is their driveway is actually lower than the drain, so it's all going across their driveway. I don't know how to fix that, but I... My point is, I'm trying to be, even in a difficult situation, we are trying to be profitable to them as Christians and showing that humility and a a willingness to say, okay, she yelled at me for trying to stop her from doing what she wanted on her property when I'm going, the water's going to come no matter, you know, it's going to happen. But anyway, that's part of what we do. We try to not shrink from what is profitable. But then in verse 20, it also says, teaching in public and from house to house. Now, John's a good example of this. John's involved in teaching with Equipping Pastors International. I got that right? Equipping Pastors, they send him out, and he teaches. Now, often when we think of this, that's what we think of, the pastor-teacher who's doing it. But it's not just for John. It's for the rest of us. We're in community groups. We're in DNA groups. We're in other ways in this congregation, especially if you want to go over there and help teach the kids. There are ways in which we can be proclaiming as redeemed people, saying that, doing it, how? By teaching people in public and house to house. And that's a part of who we are. Verse 21 says, testifying to all of repentance and faith. Faith. Testifying to all of repentance and faith. Okay, what is repentance? John had it in his prayer. 
he acknowledged that we're sinners. Repentance is, first of all, not saying, I'm great, God loves me because I'm wonderful. No, repentance is saying, I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong against a holy God, but I come to him and he forgives me. That's repentance. It's not, I'm better. It's, I'm in need, and God touches that need through Jesus Christ. So we come with repentance and faith. What's faith? Faith is looking to Christ alone for our salvation. And we say, this is what it means as a Christian, as a redeemed person, to say so. This is not me. I'm not great. It's Jesus is great, and my faith is in him. And so we testify to all of our repentance and faith. And it says to all, and this helped me with the who, how we testify of our repentance, but you also have to ask the question to who. All of these are to everybody. You see me illustrating. It's not just to my family. I don't just live with my wife. I live in my community. I live in my church. I live in my broader community, and I need to act like a Christian. I serve the Lord not just to my family, but to others around me, in my church, in my community. And, and by the way, that's everything that we do. Some of the guys go out and they do the, the down markers, you know, for the football games. That's seeking to serve the Lord and minister to other people. Why do they do it? It's not because they're bored on a Friday night and don't have anything else to do or they just love football that much, I think. But I think in part they're doing it because they're the redeemed of the Lord and they're saying so they serve in their community. So we do this. Um, I try to think, okay, what's a good way to judge that? Are you a person that is doing this, testifying of your repentance and faith? So I try to think what would be a good way of checking this. And what occurred to me was, check if you're on Facebook, check your Facebook feed. If your Facebook feed is all about how wonderful you are and all the perfect things that happen in your life, you may not be testifying of your own repentance and your faith. Now, I'm not saying it's bad if you talk about how great your kids are or all the wonderful things that are happening in your life. But on occasion, if we're the redeemed of the Lord, we need to say so. And one of those places that you could at least check is to look at your Facebook feed and go, wait a minute, what am I saying? Am I ever saying, God spoke to me today and encouraged me? I had a need and God ministered to me in that. I had a problem please pray for me. That's a, that's a point of faith. And I know many of you do this. But, and I'm not saying we have to air all our dirty laundry on Facebook. That's not, certainly not what I'm saying. But at times, we ought to at least look at that and say, am I a person that testifies to everybody about my own need for repentance and my own willingness to repent of my sins and my own need to be a person of faith and my faith is in Christ alone? Paul goes on, verse 24, and says, not accounting of, um, for my own life. This is something Paul, was, as he was traveling around, he's telling these leaders that he had ministered to, he was telling them, look, the day is coming, and I know it's coming, when I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be put into chains, into prison, because of my faith. And he's saying, it's not all about me. I'm not going to turn away from that. God's calling me to that. I'm going to... Um, not hold into account just my own life. Um, I can guarantee you I travel for work. And some people say to me, oh, how great to travel. I'm like, no. When you're my size, 
coach is not a fun thing no matter where you're going. And if you're going to Africa, it is a terrible thing because it's just a heck of a long ways. Um, but the issue comes, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for other people? And this says we don't hold into account our own lives. Now, what can that mean for you? Well, in the situation I was telling you about Ann and I with our neighbors, it's not about what do I want all the time. Now, I admit, sometimes I look at it and I go, I don't want them. They put a mound of dirt on my yard to try to block all the water. I'm like, you can't do that. You can't block the water in my backyard. But at the same time, it shouldn't just be all about me and what I want, what Ann and I want. So Ann very graciously still going to make cookies for the new neighbors and be nice and do all that good stuff, which is in part saying it's not just what, how I'm not accounting for my own life and what I want. It could be the people you serve. It could be how you reach out, how you live. In fact, I used Alan Carroll as an example of the beginning of moving into a community. They had a house. It was a nice house. It was being paid for and all that kind of stuff. They moved over here and sacrificed to be here. So that's not accounting my own life. And then, moving to close, in verse 25, it says, Proclaiming the kingdom of God, justice, mercy, and love, is what I wrote down with that. And that is what I meant by that, was as we think about what does it mean to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, we're not very good at kingdoms in the United States because we don't like kings. I've, I've used that as an illustration before. But the point is, the kingdom of God is the rule of God in this world. And my question is, what does that look like? Well, that's why I wrote down those three words, justice, mercy, and love. That those are illustrative of what it means to me to say the kingdom of God is here. Now, that means that we care about those things and people's lives around us. We want justice for other people. We want mercy for other people. We want to show love for other people and have that. Now, I think Russell, as our pastor, is a good example of that, and he preaches and proclaims that. That word proclaim makes us think about preaching. And I think he does a good job with that, of proclaiming the justice and love and mercy of God from the Scriptures. But I also think Amanda, his wife, does an even better job of it because she's over there many weeks in a row, caring for people's children, showing love to those children, showing mercy to them, and that justice to be able to let the rest of us worship, she sacrifices to do that. So it's not always proclaiming up front as the preacher. Sometimes it's proclaiming through your actions. I believe in this stuff. I believe in the kingdom of God. I want to see it come. And then in the end of this passage I read you from Acts 20, it says this, the goal. And the goal is this that Paul brings out, to be innocent of the blood of all, declaring the whole counsel of God. So if you're involved with Vintage Grace this morning, my question to you is not to guilt you, because this isn't about guilt. It's, it's as believers, what are we doing as the redeemed of the Lord to say so? And I want you to go back, if you can, over Acts 20, and I want you to ask yourself, am I innocent of the blood of other people? That means are the people around me aware of Jesus and my need for repentance and my need for faith that they can see enough to be able to say, it's not about Andrew, it's not about vintage grace, it's not about this family or that family, it's about Jesus. And we can say, you know that that's the answer. 
And that might be by living among them. It might be by serving them. It might be from sharing something that's profitable. It might be by teaching them. It might be by testifying of your own need for repentance and faith. It might be by not counting your own life as the most important thing. It might mean by proclaiming the kingdom of God, justice and mercy and love to them. And that's what it means by declare the whole counsel of God. We came this morning, we had a baptism. That's also an easy way to go. Oh, look, they are saying they're redeemed of the Lord. They believe it. In fact, they believe it so much, they have faith that God is going to do something in their child's life even when that child can't do it on their own. But we look forward to what God's going to do. Whatever it is for you, you don't get to have someone baptized every week. You don't get to be up here and be the preacher you don't necessarily get to do a lot of different things that you might in your mind go, that's how the redeemed of the Lord do it. You might not be the best Christian music singer or whatever, the next Billy Graham, but all of us can do these things that are mentioned in Acts 20. And when we do those things in our community, we will be the people of God, redeemed by God, loved by God, shown mercy by God, and we will say so. And that's my prayer for you today. That when you leave here, you go out and you say, it's not about growing vintage grace. It's not about our church. It's about us as the people of God saying so in our community. And when we do that, you may say, oh, well, I'm not a good evangelist. Okay. But you can do these things. You can live amongst people. You can serve people. You can have humility and tears and trials. Don't ask for necessarily more of those, but when you have them, you can be an example of what the redeemed do. And we work through these. This church will grow. Why? Because the world, will walk, the world around us will watch and go, goodness gracious, how does that person deal with that? Goodness, they do it because they love Jesus. Why does that person care for me? They do it because they love Jesus. Why does that person even live here and live the kind of life they have and try to do the right thing in our community? It's because they love Jesus. But people will come because the redeemed of the Lord will say so. My prayer is you'll join us in that day by day in a greater way. Pray for me that I'll do it because I'm having a hard time with this neighbor. Pray for, I pray for you that you'll do it in whatever things you're going through, that we as God's people be redeemed and say so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning to look at your word, and we ask that those that are here that do not know the gospel will turn to Jesus. But those of us that do know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we will be your people and that we will say so in our communities. Father, whether that be by word or by action, the people around us will know that we are a part of the kingdom of God for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand with me?